Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Gary with the Get Some Podcast. Uh, this week, my guest is Joseph Sakura, aka Tommy from Power. I met Joseph last summer. Uh, you know, Terrence J, who was on uh, last week, he called me. I was in Canada shooting this movie called uh, Welcome to Sudden Death, which will be out September 29th on Netflix. See how I just plugged my own shit in the intro. But uh, Terrence called me and said, hey, can you come to New York? We're doing this show called Power Confidential. It's going to be like a talk show that's going to recap the episode of Power. So we was able to work it out. And it's funny because it was the first time I met Joe. I feel like we've been living vicariously through each other because... I've been stopped so many times by people thought I was him and then found out he was going through the same thing. And uh, I don't know, I think we I think we messaged each other on Twitter or Instagram. We just stayed in touch through that. We'd be laughing at some of the stuff he'd go through and I'd go through where people have mistaken identities. And then um, and then we met on Power Confidential and he, he was just cool. I was cool, we exchanged numbers and we've just been in touch ever since. So I'm excited that I called him and you know, he's, he's living in New York and he's able to come on this week. But let me tell you what happened to me last week. Uh, it was actually a week ago today this happened. So I talked about it on my Instagram, but let me just break down everything that happened and the comments I got on social media, which I think can get a little ridiculous at times. We're in a state where society just wants to be angry right now about everything. And I get it, it's a, it's a highly... I, I, in my lifetime, I've never seen uh, this country going through what it's going through. It's, there's just a shift in everything. And so I'm, let me just get it. I'm, I'm leaving the gym. So I got this guy I work out with here in Northern California. So he only does private sessions. Uh, so social distancing is in order, everything. So I'm leaving the gym. It's, uh, I won't forget it. When I got in my car, it said 6.24 p.m. I'm walking to my car and his gym is in like this mall. So I'm leaving this mall, and I went out the back. I usually park in the back. So I'm going out this back exit, and as I'm walking to my car, there's nobody else around. Then I see this guy on a bike, and it's not a big bike. It's a tiny bike, and he's got a ski mask on, but he's got it down below his nose, and I'm, I'm really not paying any attention to him because I'm like, it's just a guy or a kid on a bike, and he might be going to the store or just left the store, and he forgot to take his mask off. I'm not thinking nothing of it. We're in, a, we're in a state now where you're not looking you're not looking two times if somebody has a mask on. Although it was 97 degrees and he had a, ma- a, a full ski mask. I go, that's it's awful hot. I, I remember just thinking, that guy's got to be hot. <laughs> that's all I was thinking of. So as I'm walking to my car, I see him make eye contact with me. And he starts, he's, so let me try to do it with my hand motion. I'm walking at like an angle to my car. He's coming this way. He sees me and makes the turn. So we're almost like coming to a, a point where we're gonna meet. So now I'm making sure I make eye contact with him. So I'm looking directly at him. And I'm giving him a smile. I was gonna give him a head nod, you know, like, hey, what's up? And he goes, yeah, uh, I see you white. You see I'm black. I had to smack the shit out of you right now. And I went, I just kind of looked at him, right? And I just went, like, I don't know why this came out of my mouth. I just went, you want a bike? And I don't know why I said that, because I, I, I think I said it because I knew I was closer to my car than he was. So as I get to my driver's side door, I'm opening it. 
And he's, if he was gonna slap me, he had an opportunity at that point. But I think when I made eye contact with him, and then I, when I spoke especially, I think he put two and two together and he realized who I was. I don't, clearly didn't know my name. He doesn't know Gary Owen, but he knew he had seen me on TV or movies because he said, um, oh, you that funny actor dude. Yeah, I know who you is. And I was just like, and literally his bike went from coming at me. So I'm, I'm walking to my car to angle, his bike's coming. He literally just kind of went around the back of my car then came, he's on the passenger side and my windows are tinted. So he can't see my car now. And I'm in my car at this point. And he's just doing like circles on the passenger side of my car. So now, but he was so close to my car, uh, the doors lock automatically once I get in the car and, and turn the ignition on. But he could have literally went for the, the door or, I don't know, he could have did anything to my car at this point. But he just kind of like had a half smile and I, I think we both were like, what the hell just happened? Because I think I was in the state of, whoa, whoa, what the fuck just happened? And he was looking at me like, I, I can't believe I just, he was trying to figure out what's that dude's name it looked like. I've seen that face where people look at me and they're like, I know him, but I don't know how I know him. Once I'm in my car, I called the trainer and I told him, I said, hey man, some dude just tried to hit me up outside your gym. I go, he's still out there in the parking lot. And the trainer laughed. He like was like, <laughs> I said, dude, I'm not kidding. Uh, and I said, you need to go out there and uh, see who it is because he knows all the kids and all the dudes in the neighborhood. I don't think he took it as serious as I thought because I'm always joking when I'm working out. So he, he texted me back later and said the guy wasn't out there. I don't think he went out there right away because if he would have went out there right when I called, he would. there's no way you could have missed that kid or that man. I don't. He, if he was a kid, he was... 18, 19, if he was a man, he, was, he wasn't older than like 22 years old, I'll tell you that. It's probably between 17 and 22 years old. And um, so I don't think he went out there immediately when I said go out there, or he would have saw him. It's weird when you go through something like that, because as I'm driving back to my house, it's about a 20 minute drive from my house to the gym, from the gym to my house. And I'm going through all these ranges of emotion. You go through the yeah, I wish that motherfucker would've came at me. I would've busted his ass. Then you go through, oh shit, he might've had a weapon on him. Then you go through, I'm so glad I got out of there unscathed. And your, your emotions are everywhere in the car. All at once. I, you can't explain it unless you go through something like that. I was like, what the fuck? What just happened? I was literally just walking to my car, minding my business, and I got, it's all of a sudden this guy on a bike just comes at me. So I get back to my house, and I'm like, ooh, I'm processing shit. And now I see my wife and my daughter, I'm telling them what happened. And I said, I'm gonna, um, I said, first I texted the trainer. I said, dude, I know the, the mall has security uh, tape. They got cameras in the parking lot. I said, see if you can get it. I said, I just wanna, not that I, I wanna press charge or anything. I just wanted to see, did it go down like I thought in my head? Did it play out like I thought? And uh, I just, I'm just curious to see it. And, and then I said, I'm gonna make a post on social media. Cause that's what you do. When you go through a dramatic experience, dramatic experience, you just run to social media. That's what I did. So I made an Instagram post and I literally described everything that happened in order. Cause it, I said, it just happened, I know it. So I said it was 624, it was a black guy. He had a, a ski mask, it went right below his, his nose. And he came at me and said that. And I was just like, man, I just, it freaked me out. So the fact that I said, 
a black guy in a ski mask. Um, that's all some people heard to go off on me. They was just like, you know, uh, you need to take down this post. Because I, I, I made it a little funny when I said, thank God I'm black famous. I said, because the guy recognized me. And I think it... I think it saved me, honestly. If I'm looking back on a week later, I think that more than anything saved the situation from getting worse than what it could have been. He could have just been talking shit. I don't know. He could have been really trying to, to attack somebody. I don't know where this guy's mind frame is, but you have to question somebody's state of mind when they can go to a complete stranger and just start going at him. I don't know why. Uh, you have to wonder what they're going through that day or in their life or you're just mad because the state of the country is you're just mad and I was just the guy that was there wrong place wrong time basically I just couldn't believe the people that came at me and I I guess because I said black guy in ski mask and I, I guess the reason there was a lot of backlash is because the same day the same time this happened to me um this Elijah McClain case became like national news. And it was about a, a, a young black guy that the cops came after. He fit the description. Somebody called the police on him because he had a ski mask on. So basically, a black guy died named Elijah McClain, and he had a ski mask on. And, you know, the cops, he, the cops made a mistake. And they came, they, you know, they came in him and put him in one of their, their holds and... They gave him some medicine or something to calm him down. And, uh, and he, he had cardiac arrest and he, he died at the hospital. But it just came out the, the same time that this happened to me. So some people were upset because I said black guy ski mask. That's all they heard. They, they, didn't, they didn't bother listening to the whole story about uh, he, the, I'm minding my business and this guy came me. Keep in mind, I never once said... I don't trust black guys with ski masks. Blah, blah, blah. I said nothing. I just literally described what happened to me. And I've always said, I've always done this ever since I was a little kid. When I tell a story, I always would include the color of the person in the story. I'd be like, yo, this black guy or this white dude. And I'm a white guy and I would say, this white dude did this or this, this Asian dude did this or this, this Latino dude did that. I always describe like the nationality or color of somebody. When I told a story, I don't know why. I just always did it. And white included. I just always did it. I guess it's because I, I'm, when I'm telling a story, I want people to have a visual of their head of what the person looked like. If they had a tattoo on their neck. A white guy in it had a tattoo on his neck. or I don't know. But all I did was say, hey, this black guy came at me. And the reason he came at me was, I don't know if he would have did that if it was a black guy walking out the store. I doubt it. Because he said, yeah, yeah. Uh, you white, you see I'm black. I'd have smacked the shit out of you right now. So I don't know what the guy's going through. Yeah, it was a little nerve-wracking. And it's crazy the, the range of emotions that go through your brain as you're driving back. And some people said, well, now you know what it's like being black and being profiled. And listen, I'm one of those guys, I empathize completely with what's going on in the country. It's unfortunate uh, all the way around. But whoo-wee! Talk about ski. I said a little, a little, a little piss came out the tip. I ain't gonna lie. A little, little pee came out the tip of my dick. Because I was like, ooh. I, it's just weird when you see it happening. When you see, when you see the guy make the turn on the bike, I was like, ah, oh, shit. It's just about to happen. It's just, I, like, your brain, everything, when you play it back in your head, everything's in slow motion. You're going, is this really gonna happen to me? 
Like, is this guy really gonna come at me? Because you don't know what he wants. I thought uh, maybe, you know, maybe he's asking for a dollar or directions or, or he recognized me. I don't know. But I made sure I just made eye contact. I gave him a smile. And then, then he just came with the, you know, I smacked the shit out of you. I was like, whoa, oh, that, that was random. And I don't know why I said, you on a bike. I don't know why that came out of my mouth. Like, almost like I was in a car, you're on a bike. You're not gonna smack me in my car. I think that's what's going through my brain. I, I don't know. It was just so unfortunate. And I see where the timing was a little hypersensitive with the Elijah McClain thing, basically gaining traction because he died in 2019, but it just became like mainstream media news the exact same day that this happened to me last week. So it's, it was just unfortunate all the way around. You know, but I'm okay. That's the main thing. I was like, ooh, I'm glad. I always say I don't get in fights for that reason. I said, because you're, the, the male ego is something. And you got to check it a lot of times because uh, when you're in the moment, you're like, ah. But then we wake up the next day, you're like, whoo, I'm glad nothing happened. I, I, honestly, I'm glad even if something physical would have happened, and let's say I, I, we did get in a, in a fist fight, and what if I beat him up? The next day, now I got legal problems. Now I got to deal with shit I don't want to deal with because of this. What if I got hurt? What if he beat my ass? Then I'm in the hospital. I don't want to deal with that shit either. So the best case scenario happened. Uh, he verbally, you know, blah, 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 said what he said. I gave a little smile, got my car, and I left. That was the best case scenario because now the only thing that's going to happen is I'm on social media talking about it or I'm on my podcast talking about it. But this is the, the best outcome that could have come from yesterday. I think this is so timely. I always do the rap lyric breakdowns. You know, the way to connect with my daughter, I'm guy in a white guy in his 40s. You know, I, I'm just going to read the lyrics this week and then I'm going to go right into Joseph because these lyrics are so cut and dry and they're so on point with what's going on in the country today, uh, 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 at this time. So this week's rap lyrics is by Lil Baby. It's called The Bigger Picture. Um, so I'm not going to make a joke about it. I'm just going to read the lyrics because a lot of times we hear songs, but we don't really hear the lyrics. We hear the beat or whatever, but I think these lyrics are so important to what's going on in the country uh, right now. And I hope I do it justice. I hope me reading it doesn't diffuse because it is a great song. Um, so here we go. Uh, seems like we lose in our country, but we got to stand up for something. So this is what it comes to. Every video I see on my conscience, I got power. Now I got to say something. Corrupt the police been the problem where I'm from, but I'd be lying if I said it was all of them. I ain't do this for the trend. I don't follow them. Altercations with the law had a lot of them. People speaking for the people, I'm proud of them. Stick together, we can get it up and out of them. I can't lie, like I don't rap about killing and dope, but I'm telling my youngins to go out and vote. I did what I did, cause I didn't have no choice or no hope. I was forced just to jump and then go. This bullshit, that's all that we know, but it's time for a change. Got time to be serious? No time for no games. We ain't talking no more. Let us go from them chains. God bless they souls, every one of them names. It's bigger than black and white. It's a problem with the whole way of life. It can't change overnight, 
but we got to start somewhere. Might as well go ahead and start here. We done had a hell of a year. I'm gonna make it count while I'm here. God is the only man I fear. I'm just gonna rest it at that. All right, y'all, Joseph Sakura on this week's podcast. A lot of people say we're doppelgangers. Uh, you have seen him as a teenager on one of my favorite movies, Rudy. Uh, <laughs> you, you saw him get his dick shot off in the TV show, my, my favorite TV show, Ozark. But possibly. More, possibly. Uh, very Game of Thrones-ish. Most people, and I will say, he'll probably say this himself, uh, be, he became a household name from the show Power. My guy, Joseph Sakura, a.k.a. Gary Owen, a.k.a. Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> if I guess this week's, what's up, Joe? What's up, Timmy Egan? Yeah, <laughs> Timmy and Tommy. I like did a whole bit on my last comedy special about being you and getting stopped for you. Yeah, people love that one. Were you familiar with me before you got on Power? Yeah, yeah, I knew, of course I knew who you were, but my favorite thing was that I guess when I got stopped in airports, literally, because like, you know, I'm 5'10 and change and you're, you know, a solid 6'3, people would stop me in airports and just be like, oh, I saw your comedy show. And I'm just like, you couldn't tell? You really can't tell? <laughs> like I'm the fun size Gary Owen? <laughs> well, you know, depending on their TV, they don't know I'm that tall. That's true, but if they see you uh, live, which some of these people said they just came from your show, like we had just crisscrossed when I was doing an appearance at a club. Um, and so I attempted a joke and I just said, just make sure you follow me on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> I kept getting like, um, social media was telling me, like, oh man, I'm so happy you got on Power. I was like, what? What is this show, Power? Like, people were really like congratulating me and saying, <laughs> I'm so happy for you. <laughs> I was going, what the hell is going on? So literally, I'm not lying, Joe. I was calling my agency going, Joe, did I get casted in something? Did I get on a show and you're not telling me? Like, is there an offer out there? I I didn't start watching Power till season two because, you know, I'm on the road. I don't, it's hard for me to catch shows. I, I like binge watch shows. Mm -hmm. And the first season of Power, I didn't even, honestly, I didn't even pay any attention to it. And then all of a sudden people are like, congratulations, so happy for you. And I was like, what is going on? And they're like, no, no, there's a show 50 Cent put together called Power. They're going into season two. And I was like, what is this show? And that that's how I started watching it and got hooked on it because of you, basically. People were <laughs> and, like, it's kind of like you and Michael Ely, but it's uh, these two other guys. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now And now, uh, now you're on my favorite show is Ozark. I it's mean, a great show. I mean, the, the writing on that show, Chris Mundy, who's the showrunner, is the coolest guy in the world. Jason Bateman, phenomenal. But Laura Linney, to me, is one of the great actors of, in America right oh now. Oh, my gosh. Her and Jason Bateman. I cannot... They're fantastic. I can't see anybody else playing those roles. I just no, can't I agree. see anybody else doing it. I agree, um, but Jason Bateman, and I don't think it's easy to do, Jason Bateman, after, you know, just being around him a lot, and I do think it's very difficult to do it. I'm not saying it's exactly him, but he's a lot like Jason Bateman. And uh, is he just, it's so funny when he's directing because he'll be like, okay, guys, you know, we're going to do it like this and we'll come around. And then he's just like, okay, in action. Hey, so what, and like right into the scene, it's like the same tonality, the same thing. And I, I don't think he's in character. I think he's just kind of has played Marty similar to himself. And 
That's a tough thing to do, is not kind of immerse yourself and mask yourself in the character. So I got nothing but love and respect for Jason Bateman. And he was a huge reason why I played Frank Jr., how I played him. Because I came in with all these other ideas, and I'm coming off of Tommy, and I'm like, okay, I got great ideas for this mob son, and I'm going to do it like this. And he's kind of like, um, what I should try this. And I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> So he's shutting down all your brainstorming in the hotel room? Yeah, he's like, <laughs> that's a great, great ideas, great ideas. So here's some other ideas. I'd like you to do those instead. So <laughs> When Ozark, when it came out, and I, I just, I'm on Netflix, and I hear about it, I turn it on. That's one of the shows, the first episode. Some shows like Game of Thrones, it took a couple episodes to get into it. Sons mm -hmm. of Anarchy for me took a couple episodes. Ozark? From the first 20 minutes, I was like, what the fuck am I watching? As soon as it's I saw that body drop in Chicago, when they're in Chicago and the lawyer's body drops, as soon as I saw that body drop, I was like, I'm in. And what was, what was that lawyer's name? I can't remember. Gary. Gary. <laughs> <laughs> the guy Laura Liddy was having an affair with was Gary. Now, how did you get Ozark? Was it offered? Did you go in an audition? They called me in like everybody else. I did a pre-read, and then I read for the casting director, and then I got cast, and it was supposed to be two episodes, and then turned into three, turned into well, however many it turned into. And um, I, I think the character could have been just a foil for Ruth, but um, uh, Julia Garner, I, I, I loved working with her, and I think that, you know, he used, the, the character was, was a tool for Ruth's character, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. So my job was to be the most interesting I could be within the parameters I was given. And I, I, I loved being on that set. I truly loved being a part of that show because, first off, I was a, it's the first time I was a huge fan of a show, and then I got to go beyond the show. So, um, you know, I fanned out a little bit at different times, but I kind of kept myself together. And we'll have to see what the future holds for Frank Jr. because uh, we never actually saw everything. So we'll see what uh, Mundy has in mind. Oh, I, I swear, and people that haven't watched the show, I, I, we're going to give away some, some stuff. When that lady shot your dick off, for lack of a better term, uh, I just thought you were dead. <laughs> I was like, well, oh, shit, she killed him. Well, it, it could be. They, the, the powers that be haven't told me that I'm dead or alive necessarily in the thing because, I mean, you shoot somebody there, I'm sure it's possible to survive um, getting, you know, uh, your foreskin and the testicle blown off if, uh, uh, or whatever the case is. But, I mean, you'd, you'd think all the, all the arteries there and everything, you bleed out. So, I don't know. <laughs> I'll see, see what they have planned. I, I mean, I hope you come back. It'll be interesting to see how, how you're such a, like you said, a tool in the show. Oh, to never will. come, and I never will come back. Yeah. Or maybe I'll come. <laughs> There's a million of them. Listen, nothing humble will humble a man more than getting his dick shot off, I would think. <laughs> well, I mean, in a real way, it's like, you know, I'm coming off of being Tommy, who's all balls, all guts, all everything. And to play a different character who's kind of could be played in the same genre-ish but to be such a different character and then to kind of accept the fate of this guy, I was happy that my ego was in check. And it was just like, dude, you're, 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 you know, you're just an actor. Play the role and be great at whatever role you're given. Is, and it was, it was a good, it was a, it was a sweet tasting humble pie. Is that, now is that hard to go from hard. See, there you go again, Gary. Right? Hey, man, they're they're not gonna stop. It just <laughs> keeps going. We're gonna stretch this as long as we can. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, is, uh, is it tough to go from like, you play this like, and, and Tommy is like an iconic character, especially in the black community. Mm -hmm. I mean, Tommy is that guy. And yeah. to go from him, and did you go right in from power to Ozark? I, we were actually shooting at the same time. I shot episodes one and two while we were filming episodes 13, 14, and 15 of the sixth season, the back five episodes. So the last three of the back five, we were shooting at the same time. I was shooting Ozark. So the hair department, the, I both kind of let me grow my hair a little bit longer, and then they filled it like in so it didn't look like the, um, you know, it looked like a different cut. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, felt same time. Is that difficult? Well, so I used to do theater in rep, so, you know, you're doing different plays at the same time. You have to be different characters, or even sometimes within a play, you have to be different characters. So mm -hmm. I always had fun. And I shot a bunch of other stuff while I was shooting Power. I did Maniac while I was shooting Power. I did um, uh, Underground on uh, WGN America with my buddy Anthony Hemingway, um, which was a strange, fun character, Frog Jack. Uh, I did, uh, yeah, quite a few. Chicago PD that a buddy of mine wrote a role for me on, so I did the guest star on that. and. Just very different characters and doing it at the same time. But uh, I always had the luxury of, I don't know, I guess coming from the theater is, is you, you compartmentalize stuff and you develop the characters. And I'm obviously not in it for the fame. So, you know, I'm, I'm in it for the storytelling. <laughs> did, um, now I, I know we, we did Power, the first time we met was on Power Confidential uh, last summer. <laughs> and I, it was funny because when I did, I go, I was, I was excited to meet you because it was like, we were like living vicariously through each other for the longest. Yeah. Like, I like, keep, I, I was like, I made it my personal mission to be like, it's Owen, no S. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I appreciate that. I listen. I stopped correcting people if they said uh, "love you and powers." I appreciate it. Make sure you watch yeah. season five or season six. <laughs> yeah, we coming back in August. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey man, why why you shoot so and so? He had it coming. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Couldn't shut his mouth. I asked you this question on Power Confidential, but for me personally, I, I just love hearing the, the grind stories of actors and comedians and, and singers. Well, you had audition, what, three or four times to get the part of Tommy? Five. Five. Yeah. And didn't you say you were like kind of blowing it off at first? Not blowing it off, but I was getting married at the time and I, when the first auditions were, and I read it. And you, you could probably sympathize this as a fellow actor, not only a comedian, but a multi-talent, unlike me. Um, I read it and I thought, they're going to fuck this up. They're going to give it to some pretty boy who knows nothing about nothing and it's going to be garbage. I, you know why? Whatever. I'm getting married. I'm done. So, but then I, after, the, after I got married, came back to New York, um, it came around again because originally 50 Cent was going to play Ghost. And then 50 was just like, ah, it's too big of a commitment. And uh, then they offered it to Omari. That was 50's choice. And Courtney was on board with that, Courtney A. Kemp, the show's creator. So then they re-auditioned the Tommy role. They already had another guy for, that they had in mind for Tommy, which was originally called Eddie O'Neill. Um, and that's not four touchdowns in one game, four touchdowns in one uh, season, rather, or whatever. Right. I'm making the Ed O'Neill reference. Uh, right. And then so they, <laughs> we all it. had to re-audition, and I ended up getting the role. Cause, and I, part of it is because uh, I clicked with Omari. We really got on so, so well that we were able to play brothers straight away. I think that was a big thing. And then, if I'm being totally honest, Omari's pretty light skin. I think that the other guy was Italian and uh, dark olive skin. 
And I think that I just made Omari look darker probably too. Yeah, there is something to say about that, not just the skin color, but the height, the yeah, weight. Sure. I've, I've had auditions where they asked, they called back and said, now how tall are you again? And I was like, ah, shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'd be trying to dab like, well, what are you looking for? Because I can be shorter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> put me in flats, put them in heels. We're good. Right, you're sitting there going, well, who's the lead? And then I'm Wikipedia in the lead, like, okay, the, mm -hmm. the lead is 5'3". I'm going to say I'm 5'11". <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now we're the same height. That's perfectly. <laughs> yeah, no shit. I'd be um, like, damn, you're a big 5'11". <laughs> <laughs> Coming in slunched over. Okay, so now you get the part in power. When did, like, the first time you're out? Like, out to eat at a nightclub or getting coffee, and somebody just stopped you like, you, Tommy. Right after season one, where it's like, um, and this is, this is going to be, I, you know, man, I, I'm surely trying to choose my words wisely in our current climate. But it was, it was when kind of a barrage of being called the N-word that I was like, whoa. Oh, they were but, you calling know, you and, the N-word. Right. Right. As in my N-word. Right. Like that's, there he is. Out of affection. Right, out of affection. Yeah. And so I was like, I was like, wow, you know, um, that's a compliment. Because, you know, luckily and, and for whatever reason, but it's luck, lucky that I grew up with people of all different colors and creeds. But, uh, you, know, you, you, know, you know the difference immediately. And I will say that, uh, and this is not belittling to um, a white community, but the black community calls bullshit fast. So Quick. I was like, good, I did a good job, you know, I'm, and because and, that's that, that's, Tommy's that guy. Yeah, like, and did they expect you to act like Tommy? Yeah. When they approach I, you? I, I, that's, that's why I always tried to kind of limit my interaction with people, because I'm just like, yeah, that's right, that's right, good to see you too. Now get the fuck out of here. <laughs> uh, because I'm like, I don't want to blow my cover, because I would be like, oh, that's so sweet, like, can I buy you a drink, or you good? But you know what? Here's the funny thing. Tommy being such an iconic character, especially in the black community, you can literally be like, hey, get the fuck out of my face. And they'd be like, yo! Yo, he just that's told me him! To I told you! This is <laughs> yo, that's really him! He's not yeah. playing a character! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's also, it's funny, a friend of mine, and this is not funny, but a friend of mine was um, ser serving a long sentence, and he had just been transferred from Sing Sing. He, was, he did 12 years, and his last year and a half, he was at uh, Queens Correctional. So it was finally closer, and I, I was able to go visit him every week. And I was in there talking with him, uh, and uh, this guy looks over at me, looks over twice, and he's like, yo, that's, you Tommy's right there. This shit is real. <laughs> So one of the, what, another person visiting an inmate? Yeah, another person visiting an inmate is telling his buddies, like, you see that guy? That's Tommy. Tommy from Power. <laughs> Dude, that's what I was talking about. This shit is real. And depending on how long that uh, his friend was in prison, he's like, yo, we don't have stars. Exactly, right, right, exactly, exactly. The, the guys who, Because some of the guys who had just been at Queens Correctional who weren't transferred in did see the show, because this is probably like season... I guess this is season three. But my friend was just like, he's like, I don't know Tommy, I know Joe. You know, <laughs> like, that's my guy. But uh, yeah, it was, it, was very, it was very funny. But he did say, yo, you blessed me because when I went down there, all the um, uh, COs, I would take pictures with them. They'd be like, yo, Tommy, can you wait around for one second? And I'd be like, yeah. They're like, after I go get my stuff out of the locker, they'd be like, let me, can I take a picture? Oh man, my daughter loves you or this or that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, so taking pictures. And then they're like, who are you visiting? I'm like, here's his name, here's his number. 
And he's like, yo, that did really help me out. Believe me, listen, I don't, I don't act like also we're, we're sh swapping buddies in prison stories, but <laughs> I, I got a buddy also that's, uh, that's serving time in Folsom. And I'll, mm. I'll go visit him, and it's similar. To the same type of things happen. The guards will be like, who are you here to see? And they immediately, they're not as cold. I still got to follow all the rules and regulations, but they're mm -hmm. not as hardcore, like right on the line. You're not bringing yeah. this in. They're like, hey, Gary, yeah, the um, locker's back there. <laughs> well, and <laughs> I think that the fortunately and unfortunately to, to our, our friends, the incarcerated friend, is that um, it, I think it forces the correctional officer to humanize that person even more. Mm. Um, I mean, I wish they did it with everybody, and you know, I don't know how much we're going to get into the present state of uh, the police right now, but um, I think that that's a kind of an overriding theme is, is the humanization of, of people, I mean, especially black people, but of, of anybody incarcerated. Yeah, and I've, I've, uh, I don't know if you did this, but when I went to, when I go to visit my buddy, it's, I guess, I think it's like $2, and they get the pol they can get a Polaroid, you can get a picture oh, yeah, of you. Oh, yeah, the Polaroid, yeah. <laughs> I, I swear um, I took at least 10 pictures one time, <laughs> which is friends and family. And, the, and it was the guy that was taking the pictures that collects the money, like, <laughs> gave my boy a free picture. <laughs> that was the trade-off. If I take pictures with these other people, he was giving him a free picture. You know? Or at the vending machine, somebody would be like, yo, Tommy, you want something? Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, man, let me get, let me get a Snickers. Like, I'm, all right, dude, thanks. Yeah. Bought Tommy a Snickers, all right. I, I, you know, I think for us, especially in, in the climate of this country, um, with the Black Lives Matter movement, I think me and you, especially in the entertainment world, like, it made my skin curl. And I did a parody of the, did you see the We Take Responsibility? Mm -hmm. uh, video. Oh, yours, yours was, yours had me rolling. I made my wife watch it with us. I was like the first thing I saw in the morning. It is, and I'll this, and I'll quote Omari Hardwick. He said, "There's nothing stranger than seeing white people try to act comfortable around black people." You know what I mean? If like it's they're like if they're like, yeah, yo, my brother, or like, yeah, yeah, like word up, you know, or like something like that, where it's just like, yeah, that you don't have to be that. You could just be your authentic self, and that'll come across better than trying to connect. But so what you're, I, I think I know what you're saying, and your your response to it was very funny. Oh my god, the responsibility! I tell you, the first time I saw in my life a, a white friend try to be like, just change his entire persona around black people. I was in a. I was in high school going to 11th grade and I worked at this amusement park and some of the other kids at amusement park were, were black kids and I went to go over one of their houses one night and I brought my buddy and I went to a predominantly white high school and he came with me and we go down the basement and it's like, it was like a, a scene out of a movie. Like I go down there and he's down there and he's got these older brothers and his older brothers all play college football. So it, it was like four big ripped up black dudes. <laughs> They're just pumping <laughs> weights down the basement. And all of a sudden I go, hey, what's up guys? I go, this is my buddy Pat. And my buddy Pat hand came up. Oh, what's up, man? What's up, man? <laughs> and they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> one of the guys go, hey man, what are, you, what are you doing? And he goes, what, man? I'm just being me. And they looked at me and I go, I've never heard this voice in my life. <laughs> I was like, what, who are you right now, Pat? <laughs> You've never, you're the lifeguard. You're the lifeguard at the amusement park in the little pool. Yeah, and it's funny because it's some of those things that people don't even realize are interpreted in a way like, 
you think you're connecting when you say, yo, 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 my man. And it's like, that is not how it's being heard. At um, all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just say hello. Yeah. How, you how doing? are you? It's yeah. so simple. And I think, and I got a little sidetracked, but especially me and you, being white guys, but so ingrained in black culture, uh, for me, the, the Black Lives Matter movement that we see going on, I think in the entertainment field, especially like, I think we empathize and can connect more than the average white entertainer that just isn't ingrained in black culture as much. You spent more time with probably black people, the, the six seasons of power, than you did with your own family half the time. It was a long days <laughs> on set. That's true. I was always lucky. I mean, you, you have uh, black people that love you the most in the world, but I was always lucky enough to grow up with black people who loved me. And I think that it's a different thing just when you, when you have that experience that it's never, it's again, it's the trying thing. It's, uh, I always knew that it was most important to just be my authentic self and never try to, you know, you emulate what you emulate, you pick up what you pick up in a genuine way. You don't, you don't try, trying is always people, like I said, the black community susses out bullshit fast. So you, you, there's, you don't, you don't need, you don't need to do that. You don't want to do that. But that whole thing about when all the white actors did that, and I'm not mad at anybody because they're trying, but I think the lesson there is that they still want to be heard, right? It's a bunch of white actors that are just, I want you to hear me. Rather than hearing white people at this time, I think that what we're being shown by the black community is that now is the time that they want white people, all white people, to listen. Mm -hmm. Like... Not, not listen, listen to me. I'm, I'm a white guy who wants to do that. What I feel I'm hearing the, from the black community is we don't need to know how you're feeling right now. We need to know that you're listening to us right now. There'll be a time to, you know, be on board and to be an ally. But, and, and being an ally right now means shutting up and listening, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I mean, I've probably, I've had so many interesting social media conversations with, with white and black people. Um, you know, some white people, this they they don't understand it, and I'm I, I try to stress to them. I go, it's it's not really for you to understand. It's like you said, it's just for you to listen and to empathize. Like mm -hmm. if somebody's in pain, you just wanna you just wanna take the pain away, especially when it's like your family and friends. It's like, what can I do to help? And you just kind of, we just all we can do is sit back and, like you said, I think you said it perfectly. Is just, just listen. Have you have you talked to anybody in the cast since all this has gone down? Yeah, me and Omari went on Instagram Live. Actually, we were on Instagram Live maybe last week, maybe two weeks ago now. And it, I just kind of, because O and I are friends, I just thought, oh, you know, ah, fine. Because I told him, listen, I don't want to, I don't feel like doing it right now, and. I'm 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 out. I'm I'm podcast and and Instagram lived out. And finally, he's just like, "Yo, Joe, I think it's important for us to do this." And it actually, turned out to be important because I just thought it was like another thing. And it, we were just talking as we do as friends. But it was important to see people see a white guy and a black guy talking and listening, both. Mm -hmm. And and there was a freedom in me because I've known him so well for so long to to talk just very freely. And I think that that was refreshing and encouraging for people to see, to see that and, uh, and hopefully a little bit inspiring. But like I said right now, to me, and what I'm definitely gonna do is just shut up and listen now. There will be a time in the future, probably you know, in a, a little bit down the way, where it will be important to talk as well and, and, and be listened to. 
but uh, that's 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 phase two. For you and and I, I would say myself also is there's also a trust factor um, when mm. we do talk because it's not like we're an outsider looking in. We're like no, we we are ingrained in the culture. I mean, you by, by where you was raised and just by luck of the draw. The iconic TV show you became a part of, yeah, and with me, absolutely. The, the you know people always say, "How did you become a white comic with a black audience?" And I always say, "You don't choose your audience; they choose you." Mm-hmm. It's just I my first opportunities to be on TV and in movies was on BET, and first couple movies and had black lead actors. That was just how it was. I said, "Shit, I would I would have did Telemundo if I knew Spanish." If that was going to get me on TV, and I, when I moved out to L.A. and I was 20, 21 years old, I, I would have did anything to get on TV. <laughs> Hell, I wow. did the dating game. <laughs> wow, did you? <laughs> yeah, and I, it's funny. I, honestly, my first ever TV appearance was the dating game, and I asked to switch at the last minute because the other group was three black girls picking a dude. <laughs> <laughs> and I was talking to the black guy backstage, and he was he was telling me, like, yeah, man, kind of wish I was on your show. I said, well, I wish I was on your show. <laughs> and we went and asked if we could switch. And they said, nah. <laughs> oh, too bad. Asked. But you're my hero, man. You moved out to L.A. at 21, and you, you, sur- you lasted. Yeah, well, I was in the Navy. You know I was in the Navy, right? Yeah, uh-huh. So I was in the military, and my whole plan from... From the time I could talk and think was, I want to be a stand-up. I just want to be a stand-up. But I didn't know how. I didn't know you could start in Chicago or Cincinnati or Milwaukee or Atlanta. I thought every stand-up started in L.A. I just thought everybody moves to L.A. and you start telling jokes. I didn't know you could start in your hometown. So my whole thing was, how do I get to L.A.? And I joined the military because I figured, all right, this will I can get a job, make some money, and... It's only like a four-year commitment, and then I could make my way to L.A. And first chance I got a chance to get stationed in San Diego, I took it. And I thought the whole state of California was L.A. I didn't know there were other cities. (laughs) I don't know why I thought that. I guess David Lee Roth. You know, I wish they all could be California girls. It was shot in L.A. I was like, okay. It's a great video. It's a great video. It's a great video. But I thought that was the whole state. I was like, "What, what is this Fresno? Mm-hmm. Where you at Camp Pendleton? Is that, is that right? I was in I was in the Navy, so I was down in a 32nd Street, and I was at Naval Station North Island and NEB Coronado. Okay, so, I don't even know where I'm talking about. All I know is Pendleton, and that what is that? The Marines? That's the big Marine base. That's a huge okay. Marine base. Yeah. yeah, San Diego's got a bunch of Navy bases. You know, I was on I was on BET's Comic View. I was still active duty. Oh I was wow! Just, I was just driving up to LA and filmed. And then I would drive back down to San Diego and go to work the next day. It was like boom, boom, boom. I would stay at like a Walmart and Dana Point and sleep if I got too tired. That's that's a grind, man. I mean, people don't realize, but like you did what I couldn't do. I I went to Los Angeles, and as soon as I went there, I kept coming back to Chicago, back to New York for work because I I wasn't even conscious that I just— LA didn't work for me. And I just every opportunity I had to leave, I took until finally I was just like— the next job that takes me back to New York, I'm just going to stay. And that was Boardwalk Empire and I, I, I think, 2008 for the pilot. Um, and that was, so L.A. is just, it's, it's too tough for me. And I still just this year, like, shook off 
that I can't stand LA. Now I'm like, that's ah, okay. I'm I'm only here when I'm working, so it's great. I've always got a return ticket anyway. See, we're we're completely opposite. I, the way you feel about LA is how I felt about New York when I first got in the business. Oh wow! I'd fly to New York and I'd be like, whoa, this is so overwhelming. There's so many people in a condensed area. <laughs> but mm. I guess moving out to California and getting familiar with LA and my way around town, I was always comfortable there when I first got in the entertainment business. And then the, I remember the first time I came to New York, which was 98, mm -hmm. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, well, we I, first came here around the same time. But it's just to me, where I first was in Queens and stuff, I, and Queens always felt like Chicago to me. It felt like, oh, this is like the north side of Chicago. This is, you know, you know, this would be more like the south side down here. And then kind of, I was always just like, Chicago is just like Queens with a third of Manhattan in Long Island City. So Chicago is like a, it's a huge city. Everybody knows that, but it, it, it doesn't feel like a big city like New York does. It You're right. Almost, it, it has I a totally Midwest, Midwest yeah. vibe, suburban vibe downtown. You're like, oh, okay. It doesn't feel like New York. I, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel as busy. When you're down it's, it's, on Michigan Avenue. It's not, it's not, but it is familiar. Like when I moved to New York, I was just like, it just felt like Chicago to me originally. And then going to LA, I was like, this feels so foreign. And it was, the coloring was different. Everything was different. And, and also I felt like such a commodity and such a number. It was, it was really tough. It was really way too tough for me. You're one of the classic just kept grinding as an actor, like you was getting yeah. an episode here, an episode here, an episode here. And just, you know, you're working, but there's nothing like, uh, you're not getting that reoccurring part on a, on a five-year run like you did on Power. I mean, right. how, what would you say how your life has changed the most since, since you know, you, you had steady work on Power? You weren't like, you didn't have to worry about, oh God, I got to audition just to get the bills paid this year. Well, part of it is that, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is that, that I can actually pay my bills. Um, it's nice to be able to pay my bills. Uh, and then just more creative opportunities. Uh, I'm producing, gonna be producing a movie uh, soon. I'm just in the very beginning stages of, I got the rights to a great book written by my uh, good friend Rick Kogan uh, called Everybody Pays. I'm going to be turning that into a film, and it's going to be great. I'm going to be a friggin' filmmaker. And just to have those kind of opportunities, meeting people like Dion Taylor, who directed The Intruder and um, Black and Blue, so you know, and all these great movies, that, and you know, hopefully working with him again soon in the future in another one of his films. But to be presented with opportunities with people that I like, to me, that's really the dream, is to have uh, surround yourself by like-minded people people that are, want to tell stories. It's just, it's a luxury. But people, of course, to, like everything, I'm an overnight success because of power. It's, you know, these, you know, oh, Tommy got power out of nowhere and then Tommy's uh, famous. And it's like, no, Joseph has been doing this for 32 years and my pension in Screen Actors Guild has already kicked in if I wanted it to. When I texted you and said, hey, you want to be on the podcast, I, I wanted to do my due diligence and, my, and I looked up some of your credits and I was like, oh, shit, he wasn't Rudy. <laughs> one of the kids. I was like, that was one of my favorite movies. Think about now that, now that you are who you are mm -hmm. from the movie Rudy, not to mention I think it was Vince Vaughn's first movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was one of John Favreau's first films. It was one of his first films. 
I mean, yeah, the, you look at the cast sometimes, you're like, wow. Just, just who knew when that movie came out? Those like Vince Vaughn, very minor role. You, very minor role. John Favreau had a good role, but I mean, just mm -hmm. to see the three of you, your career trajectories and complete different paths off that one film. I mean, you have to look up when I tell people, you know, Vince Vaughn, I think he met John Favreau on the set of Rudy. And then people be like, Vince Vaughn was in Rudy? I go, he was the running back that didn't live <laughs> up to his potential. <laughs> How did you not know he's, that? He's now on the scout team. <laughs> was that was that like local casting when you was uh I mean how old were you when you did that movie? I, uh, older than you think. I was fourteen, and it came out when I was fifteen. I mean, I, I know I look like ten, but I was a little older than that. And that was just a local casting. You just went down there. Did that was local you? casting, but I had I had auditioned for I had I had worked before Rudy, like I had done other things before Rudy as well, small things, but you know it was just another step in the process. There was always these little kids who were just man, they were so adorable, who always used to get the roles like right above me, um, and I remember even on commercials, I remember Fred Savage had already done something, but he would be. Uh, at some of the commercial auditions for Bubblicious or whatever, and, mm. and I would be down there with my man, just being like, <laughs> oh, wow, like, he's already famous in some way, and, and man, it's just, I just, I, I wouldn't wish acting on my worst enemy most times, because it's such a hard career. I, I thank God for getting into the theater and, you know, telling the roles, because that's what I like doing, is just telling the different stories and kind of living and learning about life and human beings. I mean, not to get too arty-farty, but that's why I'm in it. And uh, yeah. I just love having more of these opportunities to be able to do that after power. It's given me that luxury. So I'm forever gr grateful to Courtney and 50 and Gary and everybody else. Are you, are, is there going to be a spinoff? Oh, yeah. Tommy's, Tommy's heading out west, Gary. You could, hey, now you could be on the show. Now I could be Timmy. Yeah, Timmy! <laughs> Your daddy, your daddy was a Rolling Stone, man. He got it in. <laughs> he was, but he was. So I know, it's perfect. When I, when I saw your dad, I go, oh, he definitely got a couple more kids. Tommy's got some relatives <laughs> he don't know about, for sure. <laughs> Wasn't he great? I mean, Bill Sadler, William Sadler, he's such a great guy and a great, he was so great on the show. Yeah, to be your dad, because it's so hard to picture what, who would be Tommy's dad? Yeah, he was good. And he was, he was, uh, people forget, he was so good at um, Shawshank. Shawshank, great. And Death uh, and Bill and Ted's. Oh, that's right. God damn, I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> forgot about that. Let me see. I've had Ely on the podcast. I've had Terrence J on the podcast. Um, I love those guys. I know you're the third or fourth person that's brought up Dion Taylor. And Dion, he just texted me last week and said he wants to do the podcast. And I'm like, yo, let's wait until you got a film coming out. Because I know you got a couple coming. Dion's one of those guys... He's like, no, and, man, let's do it now. I just took my 20,000 oh, steps. I'm ready to do the podcast. Yeah. Hey, he's, he's the best. Yeah. Hey, Gary, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's always, I'll send him a text just like, what's up? And then he'll text back, what's up, King? Glad to know you would be in your presence. You're one of a kind. <laughs> like, and, thanks, and you know man, what? And he means, uh, one time I was just busting his balls a little bit and saying like, I'm like, do you really believe all that shit coming out of your mouth? And like, literally, it was like the one time he took a step back, he's like, I do, every word. And I was like, no, I was just busting your balls. Like, I know you do. But he really does. He is nothing but positivity. He's a freaking great director. Just a fantastic human being. And... I can't wait to do another movie with him because after doing The Intruder, I feel like I know how he works now. So I know I can give him even a better performance. And if you don't come up with anything to do, he'll tell you everything to do.
If you、mm. come up with a ton of stuff to do, he'll collaborate with you every step of the way. You can't ask for better than that. So I, I can't wait to work with him again. That movie, I, I, it was hard because that was the first time I had seen you, and I was with my wife when we went and saw the movie. I, I kept waiting for you to turn into Tommy the whole <laughs> movie. <laughs> and I was, I remember I texted Dion, I go, yeah, if、uh, Joseph, if, if you would have had Tommy in this movie, it would have ended probably within the first 10 minutes. <laughs> he literally would have been a. No, 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 we're going to kill this motherfucker. Oh, God. He would have been a. He would have had a wine with Ely and Megan, like, look, I got it. This fucker's gone. <laughs> he sold you the house. And I said, you would have never got Killy on the driveway. I can't wait for you to fuck him up when you guys took the walk on the driveway. I was like, dude, it's time. It's time, Tommy. Stop, stop bullshitting. <laughs> Dion told me the best story. He said they were having a screening in Chicago. And、uh, when it came. The time where、uh, Dennis Quaid kills my character with the axe, the lady sh- sh- jumps up and she goes, Oh no, Tommy, Tommy! <laughs> <laughs> She's texting her friends, Tommy's、yeah. dead. Oh, God, I can just ruin it. There's no power, it's gone. <laughs> <Right> . <laughs> hey, you know this isn't real, right? Like- yeah. <laughs> I just love that somebody is that invested in, in Tommy. I got to give it to it. I, I'm not mad at that. When people are like, you know, that everybody's going to call you Tommy for the rest of your life, I'm just like, man, I, it's, a, it's a badge of honor. And when people say, Joseph, you know that they're more interested in your full work, but to, but to have played a character that people are always going to call you, I'm just like, hey, I did a good job. It's a compliment. Oh, without, without question, it's, it's one of the, the most iconic characters, and especially in, in, in black culture. It's like、mm. that dude, just because he was, he was a white guy not putting on, like we've been saying, he was just being himself and just ruthless. God、mm-hmm. damn. He was literally, he lived his life by his own set of rules. It wasn't, it wasn't worried, he wasn't worried about the law, what people think. I was like, God, the goddamn guy killed his dad. <laughs> yeah, but he lived within those rules of a moral compass. He was one of the few people that actually had a moral compass from the first episode to the last. Yeah, I can't, you know what? I guess I didn't think. I take it all back. Belay everything I said. <laughs> Joseph, you were being polite. Like, Gary, you don't, that's not what the fuck he was doing. <laughs> he had a moral compass, bro. <laughs> oh, his own, his own, which is a little skewed, but you know. And it was, it was interesting when,、um, when we did Power Confidential. And you had one of the, was he the a writer or producer on the show? Gary, Gary Lennon,、uh, writer Gary and Lennon. producer, co showrunner of the last season, too. Yeah, I, I caught something you guys said,、uh, and you know, I was just kind of listening, where you said, you know, he was so collaborative with you, and you guys would meet at like a coffee shop and just go over the script. You'd tell him your ideas and how you see it going, and, and he, would, he would go back and forth and listen. Is that what you would do like, before the season would start? Not before the season would start necessarily. However, Courtney Kemp, who's the show's creator and showrunner, she、um, always told us a little bit of the trajectory of the character for that season. And she always listened to our ideas and wanted to know our input. So I'm really grateful to her for that.、Um, and she's so smart. I mean, she made a big hit show and changed my life. So I'm forever grateful to Courtney for sure. But Gary, being on the spot, he was able to be there, especially when he was directing episodes.、Um, And、uh, Gary is also, you know, he's a native New Yorker. He's got that too. So it's, it's always good. But also, 50 was super collaborative. 50 is the one who told me before season one, he's like, yo, man, 
uh, Tommy's like Tony Montana. And I was just like, damn, he's got big plans for, for Tommy. So for mm -hmm. me, season one, I came with all of these ideas. Thank God Bateman wasn't there. He would have ruined, no, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, but, but, uh, <laughs> But I came with all these ideas, uh, season one, I, f I did exactly what they had written in the script. I just added my own thing to it wherever I could. I added, I tried to add the comedy in there, right? So I tried to find the joke where there wasn't a joke. I tried to find um, the physical comedy of like when Holly comes in the first time into his apartment and he's like, oh, there's a gun, let me just put my coat over that. Or like, uh, 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 type stuff uh, at first. And then they started writing to the character so that it became a collaborative process later on. But I didn't want to say, like, this is how I see the guy first. Uh, I didn't do that in, until way down the line, and mostly when I was asked. I always tried to know my, not, not just my place, but um, I, tr I always tried to give credit to, to the people who were directing and producing and writing, and then tried to play my part as best I could until it became to a point that, um, you know, kind of nobody knows the character better than me at this point. But you, you don't want to put the cart before the horse because you're going to get fired or killed on the show. <laughs> yeah. You 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 are you are definitely an actor's actor because you be breaking shit down. I like this. Whoa, <laughs> Joseph takes this shit serious. <laughs> I, but also lightly. I, but also lightly. You know yeah, what I mean? It's, dude, I'm not you know, curing cancer here. They ca listen. They casted the right guy because I would have been playing Tommy like this. I just I just want to kill and fuck people. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that too. It's that too. It's like all of that and stuff. That's what I've been doing. Yo, Joe, if it would have been me, I'd have been looking at Gary and 50 like, who can I kill? Okay. Yeah, let's kill him too. <laughs> you, and, you and 50 would have been a good Tommy and Ghost. I'll tell you that yeah, right now. Yeah, you're just, yeah, but there would have been nobody left. They'd be doing recasting every week. Uh, what are we going to do? Let's just fucking kill him. Yeah. Let's kill well, him. Tommy, season one, he says that about Ruiz. Uh, he's, Tommy says, you know, he goes, I told you it was this motherfucker. And, and Ghost says, yeah, but that's when you thought it was this other guy. And he, Tommy goes, yeah, yeah, I know, whatever. I just want to kill a motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to kill a motherfucker. How did you uh, get in contact with Dion, or did Dion contact you for The Intruder? So for The Intruder, uh, thank God Michael Ely was in it as well, because he gave kind of his seal of approval, because we had just done Jacob's Ladder, which of course came out afterwards, but uh, it was actually shot in reverse of those two films. So I'd already played Mike's best friend in a different film. So Omar Joseph, who was the second unit director, said to Mark Berg, who was the producer on the film, Mark Berg also produced the Saw movies, um, and they originally wanted my character of Mike to be a black comedian. And Omar Josephs came with and said, um, all right, so I found uh, the character of Mike. I know you want a black comedic actor, but I found a white dramatic actor. And he's like, huh? Um, and he's like, no, but you, you got to see this guy. It's, it's who you want. And then Dion was aware of power and uh, Mark Berg wasn't sold. So this is seriously what Omar Joseph did for me, which is so selfless is he said to Mark, uh, who wasn't convinced, he said, Mark, you got an 18-year-old son. Ask him if he watches Power. And he goes, okay. And he goes, and when he says yes, ask him who his favorite character is. And he came back the next day and Mark said, all right, how much can we get the guy for? <laughs> mm. You know, when they said to Michael Ely, what do you think about Joseph Sikora? He's like, oh, yeah, cast him. So that was nice to have another friend to have your back like that. Here's what's great about this business, too, is a lot of times the... The mainstream media—they're—they're they're quick to highlight actor selfishness and crazy behavior, but I've also found um, 
It's really one of the most giving professions. People secure themselves and they want to work with people because Ely, it's funny, I got you on the podcast now this, this all is full circle because Ely called me before he worked with Dion to ask about Dion because I didn't meet the blacks with him. And mm -hmm. I, I just say, yeah, Dion's great, man. He's awesome. I said, I, I, I remember telling him, I go, he let me ad lib. And that's all I want in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what the script is. Just even if you don't put it in it, can I get a couple ad lib scenes? <laughs> I said, so Dion's great. D and that, you know, then Ely met Dion and they came about. And I remember me telling Ely, uh, when I had Ely on, he said, yeah, that was the second film I did with Joseph Sakura. And I go, what was the first one? He goes, Jacob Slatter. I texted Ely, and I always try to support my friends and everybody, like, go see a movie first week or, or whenever it comes out. And mm -hmm. I just said, uh, dude, I'm not seeing Jacob's Ladder. I saw the first one. I'm not fucking <laughs> with that, dude. <laughs> well, I the said, first one is beautiful and iconic, and they did try— They, I give them credit for trying to do something different with the movie, and I don't know how happy Mike was with the movie or not, but I got to play a really cool role so and really tr transform and really hide behind— I got to I got to die twice. That doesn't ruin anything in the movie at all because you know the movie's all over the place and you don't know if the guy's dead or if he was a figment of the imagination or whatever. But um, they 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 swung for the fences. I want no part of Jacob Slatter, bro. None. I can't do the psychological horrors. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> if it's a horror movie, I want to be able to share. We can kill the killer. We can kill him, right? I feel that. I go, I told Mike, I go, dude, I am not, like, not supporting you. That's why I didn't know you guys worked together twice. I just <laughs> assumed The Intruder was the first time you guys worked together. I remember, I think I was texting Mike why he was filming. I go, hey, how am I doing? <laughs> am I killing it? <laughs> and Mike goes, I don't, Mike, you know Mike, he's so introspective. He was like, yeah, I don't, what do, what do you mean? I go, no, you're working with Joe, right? You're working with Tommy. He goes, yeah. I go, yeah, how am I doing? And he goes, what? I go, no, people always mistake us for each other. And he goes, I don't see it. <laughs> and he's being honest. He's like, he doesn't see it. He's one of those 17 people that don't see it. Yeah, he goes, ah. He goes, and then he, I talked to him afterwards. He goes, especially after working with him, he goes, I really don't see it now. <laughs> I go, yeah. I said, dude, I'm, I'm the comedian. He's the theater background. You exactly. You're, see you're, it you're like, he's together. not, he's, like, he's not funny at all. Yeah. <laughs> Even when we, we tried to spoon feed him the jokes, it wasn't happening. <laughs> it just didn't work. We no, let him get hit by a wine bottle. He was great at that. Yeah, we almost replaced him with Bill Murray. We just went, fuck it. We're going, <laughs> exactly. we're going all the way. We're going with Chicago comedian. Exactly, a Chicago theme. Yeah. Hold on. I remember reading on Wikipedia, you did a commercial with Michael Jordan. Yeah, I did that in, I was 13, so that would be 89. Was it a Nike commercial, Gatorade? No, no, McDonald's. McDonald's commercial? Okay. So are we able to look that up? Oh, yeah, you YouTube can find like, it. You can, yeah, Michael Jordan. Um, I forget what you could probably, at this point, you could probably put both of our names in there and it would show up. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm, I, I'm adorable. I don't know what happened, but I was an adorable yeah. little kid in like this blonde, toe headed hair. I'm just like, it is Michael Jordan. Like that was my big line. That was your line? It, yeah. But the best part about it is my friend in that commercial with me, this uh, kid named Relius Webb, and me and Ree were both graffiti writers, so we made up a crew uh, at the time in Chicago, which became a big crew in Chicago called DAD, Down and Dirty. And um, I was the only white guy on the crew, and then they, so they kicked me out eventually after the crew got bigger. <laughs> 
But Tommy was so mad. <laughs> it's like, what? Oh, okay. They're like, yeah. All right, I see how it is. Yeah. But it was very, it was very funny. But Ree, shout out to Ree Webb. Great person, great actor, um, and a great MC. So you're, however old you are, early teens, and you get on mm -hmm. set with Michael Jordan. I mean, it's one thing to say, like, when you said you got on Ozark and you fanned out a little bit, do you fan out as a teenager when you see Mike the first time? I was, I, I was definitely in shock. I was in shock. It was, it didn't seem, it seemed totally out of body. I, I'm going to get super dark on you real quick, Gary. I watched a guy shoot himself in the mouth when I was 16 years old. And I was just like, totally like, not dead to it, but I was just like, what the fuck just happened? It was so out of body experience. And I'm going to somehow equate that same experience, at least feeling in my body when I saw Michael Jordan when I was 14 or 13 or whatever. It was just like, totally like, this isn't happening. This is, is this a dream? Like, so weird. Not to downplay it, but especially to be a, a Chicago guy, a kid, mm -hmm. and Michael Jordan? Good Lord. I, yeah, can't even, was, I couldn't even amazing. imagine. Did, now, did you get a, did you, was you able to get a picture with them and everything? That's a, that's a story for when me and you are just hanging out privately, but um, no, I did not get a picture with Mike. Oh, Some people did, but not me. Oh, okay. Okay. That was, I, didn't see that, I didn't see that part of the last dance. We totally, scored, <laughs> totally missed that. <laughs> I can't wait. Wait a minute, wait a minute. When is, when is Joe going to be on? When's the commercial? When are they going to show that? <laughs> that would have been hilarious. Here's another Michael Jordan story, which is very funny. I worked security. I was doing a play at Looking Glass Theater in 2000 and um, maybe three in Chicago. And then I was working late night security uh, at Le Passage, which was this club at the time off of Rush Street in the Viagra Triangle. And I was, uh, you know, I'm not a big guy. So they had me at the back door just being like, hey, you can't use this entrance or like, hey, you know, you're blah, 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 or just calling the big guy in to take care of somebody. But every now and again, celebrities would come and I would be the personal security for the celebrities. Basically like, just come on, just give them some space, get some room, blah, blah, blah. I was put on for Michael Jordan one time. And I just remember Mike, in so many words, telling me how terrible I was at my job. And, I, I, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not mad at him at all because I probably was terrible because I was just like letting, you know, beautiful women kind of come up to him and not knowing at the time that celebrities don't, when they don't want anybody coming up to them, that includes anyone. Right. Or whatever. And it's like you, and something about it just made me appreciate, especially after watching The Last Dance. Like, to these people, you have to bring your A game. It's like Tom Cruise, you know, you can say what you want about Tom Cruise. I personally love the guy. It's just you have to have your A game on set or you don't belong there. I can't wait to hear that Michael Jordan story off camera. I gotta admit, <laughs> I just, I wanna end the interview right now so <laughs> I can call you. Who, Ely, Ely did the same thing. Ely told me a story. He goes, I gotta finish that off camera. <laughs> oh, I know what I, I know what I asked him. I might as well ask you the same question. My biggest fear is to be on set and just freeze, like forget my lines and be like, oh shit, I don't know where I'm at right now. Um, has it ever happened to you where you just oh, on a set and you're like, oh fuck, I just really I, I will it. tell you this, and I'll try to make it not, this is a long story, but I'm gonna try to give a really uh, abridged version. And that is, I was doing a play here in New York and I had the director yell at me during intermission telling me that I was the reason that the play got all these terrible reviews, which is obviously not the case because the reviews had already come out. And they gave me good reviews. But he was just like, you're ruining the play and blah, 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 blah. You're the reason. Who told you to put your hands in your pockets? Who did you listen to? Why are you fucking up this whole play? And literally, I had never had anybody talk to me so crazy during intermission where I basically talked for 15 minutes afterwards. 
And uh, I just went back into the corner and I just, I didn't, I would say I cried, but I didn't really cry because I wasn't like, <laughs> I was just standing there with like tears rolling down my face, praying to my dead grandmother to make it through the next 15 minutes of the play. And I'll never forget, curtains open, I'm on stage, it's me and a good friend of mine who was in the play with me, and it was the first time in my life that I honestly remember, remember I've been acting since I was 11 years old, and now I'm probably, you know, nearly 30 during this play or something, 20, in the late 20s, maybe 30. And uh, it was the first time that I ever remember seeing the audience like that. Like, I'm just a dude up here pretending to be somebody else, and there's a bunch of people in a theater right now. What the fuck am I doing? And I could barely remember the lines. It was a total out-of-body experience. I was just saying the lines, and my buddy comes up to me, and he, this is on a stage that's a mic stage. And he's supposed to be, like, just asking me one question here, and then I give this monologue. And one question here, gives this monologue. And he goes up to me, and he just looks at me, and he goes, Dude, are you okay? <laughs> and the whole audience I, heard it. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't hear it. He like he was away from the mic, and he kind of like went up to me and with his back to the audience, just to like, what the fuck is going on here? And I was just like, you know, I just shook my head, yeah, whatever. And we kind of went on, and he was just like, what the fuck was happening, man, out there? And I said, oh, I was just trying something different. I, I don't know, you know. And uh, so that director uh, gave me. I gave myself. I'll take the responsibility. But because of what that director did, I allowed myself to have stage fright. And I have, I have horrible, horrible stage fright. The next play I did right after that was a play by, by Neil LeBute called Fat Pig that I did in Los Angeles um, at the Geffen Theater. And I barely remember doing that play because I was so scared. And that, this play, the next play I did, I'm on stage for 90 minutes or, or 100 minutes, something like that, without an intermission, just me the whole time. And, you know, other characters, me, Ashley Atkinson, John Bernthal. It was a great play. We killed it. But I barely remember it because I had such terrible stage fright. And then progressively, I've lost the stage fright a little bit where I have these great moments of where I feel like I'm really in the character. But even as Tommy, there were moments, unless I really focus, and like I, I love to, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a method actor. So when I'm, when it's, you know, cut, when I played Ginger, the shaved head, big beard guy on True Detective, and McConaughey was staying very much in character, which I am mm-hmm. very appreciative. Omari's a, a method actor too. You know, he, he stays ghost. But I don't do that. But, um, Omari stays ghost the whole time? Yeah, yeah. Omari's a method actor. He's kind of, wow. he pretty much stays in that, that character, that mindset. But me, I, I, I can't, I don't do that. I also find to me, depending on the character, it's really kind of tough for the crew. And I just, you know, I'm a, I'm a kind of a, um, you know, I'm, I'm a kind of, I always feel like I'm crew anyway. So that's not, that just doesn't, doesn't work for me. But I'm not mad yeah. at anybody's process. Yeah. There are times where I will just blank out. But like, there have been times where I was just like, thank God I'm one of the leads. <laughs> because I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to need another one, <laughs> you know, or yeah. whatever. But it ha- it's happened on other shows. Like, um, it's just that, thank God I'm at this part of my process because there have been times, even on Ozark, where I'm like, I'm searching for the line, but I've figured out a million tricks to do to give myself that extra beat or find that stuff. And I come uber prepared. I mean, I know those lines backwards and forwards, but every now and again, unless I'm in the pocket and truly focused, man, I'll fuck up that scene. Yeah, it's my, I tell you, man, it's, uh, it's the, it's the, the one thing, I mean, knock on wood, it hasn't happened. It's happened in auditions for me, but mm. not in a, not on set in the middle of a scene. Cause like, I think, I think Ely said it was with Anthony Hopkins when he had a bad company with him. Oh yeah. He said it took him a minute because he was like, "Oh shit, 
I'm literally doing a scene with Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes and, it's like that weird second sight. Like it, 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 it's that duality, the dual consciousness, where you're just like, "Yo, this is actually happening right now." Like, and I, I hate that thing. I think I, some people call it the yaya bird. I hate that yeah. bird. There was a guy that was doing Game of Thrones. Did you watch Game of Thrones? I did. Yeah, I loved it. God, I, I feel like a dick because I can't remember the guy's actor. But uh, it was Peter Dinklage. Um, mm -hmm. And he said one of the guys that played like, he defended him against the mountain. He got killed by the mountain when the mountain put his, his fingers in his eyes and he died. Mm -hmm. um, he goes, that guy, I was watching an interview and he goes, yeah, he goes, I'm flying to Croatia to film Game of Thrones. He goes, so I'm on the plane over and he goes, literally I land it, I'm in the hotel and I get the sides for the next day and it's like this 10 paid scene where it's just him and Peter Dinklage in the prison cell. And he was going, damn, day one? Oh my God. <laughs> he goes, I want to ease into this scene. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's crazy. Mike Dopa did something like that too. Mike Dopa, who played the Serbian gangster on Power, like he showed up with me to uh, basically new lines for uh, not 10 pages, but like four page walk and talk where guy never missed a beat, never missed a line. I was like, who is this guy? He's magical. And people don't know, like, outside looking in, it is, it's, I don't want to say, it is easier. It's probably easier on, on the actor just to be a, uh, a, a regular character. Like, it's your show. You're the main character. But to come in as a guest. Tougher, way that, tougher. Way tougher, man. Because everybody else got, they got chemistry, they got a rapport. And you're coming in like, I don't want to step on toes, but I still want to stay true to the character. To me, that's way harder to be a special guest. Mm -hmm. On a dramatic show, I was like, Ooh, I totally, I, I totally agree. Look at my little career, like being the guest star is always. There's only one person throughout my entire career who belittled me and like really talked me down in front of the whole crew. I don't know if it's appropriate to say his name, but I can't stand this mug so bad. I feel like saying his name, but it was on like a major network show, and I was just like, why would you ever do that to somebody? You know how hard this is. Yeah, I would never. I, I, I empathize so much. Yeah, so, when we did listen, when we did Think Like a Man too, <laughs> there was there was a scene, and I'll, I'll say that I'm not throwing her under the bus, but she was just having a hard time. Ice T's wife, Coco. Coco, yeah, she's she so sweet. Oh, we we all were just like pulling for her, but she was just she was struggling that day with her line, and mm. and it was to Ely. I was like, God, why couldn't it be to anybody else? <laughs> but there's you can see me. On some of the takes, I'm I'm mouthing her lines because I was I'm sitting next so to Mike bad. and I wanted to do it so bad. I'm going like this. You were just <laughs> and Joe. I don't even realize it. There's some takes I'm like slowly leaning in to the camera. I'm going, come on, baby, come on. You're like a proud parent. You're just yeah. like I do this. I'm just, God bless our cast on Think Like a Man too, because we all were just like, come on. Nobody was being a dick, like, come on, just get this fucking scene over with. We, you know, this is the last scene, we gotta move on. We were all just kind of like getting through it. And it was great to have like Jerry on set. Mm -hmm. You know, Jerry's just an actor, actor's actor. Ely's an actor's actor. You know, me and Kev, we're comedians, it's whatever. And Terrence was new. But, you know, those guys were just like, I remember talking to them, they go, we've been there, man. Everybody's been there where it's just not coming out right. <laughs> what like, a cast, though. Just everybody you mentioned, man. Like, what? That's a, that's a strong click right there. Yeah, it's funny how a lot, well, not a lot, but I mean, I got on power through you. 
And then Jerry got on power and Lala got on power. I was like, Terrence J. Oh yeah, Terrence. I was like, this they're just they're just nitpicking. <laughs> I just kept waiting for I can't wait for the phone call. <laughs> I, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty lucky it. you didn't audition. I think. No, I I I think you I think you would have got it. I think right. they would have gave me the call like, dude, you were right there. Yeah, but, there would have been like that if like if we could have just chopped him off at the ankles, it would have been Gary Owen. But yeah. we, oh, no, we got I would, you. I would audition for Ghost. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always said I always want to do like a spoof where I had a bad agent and they kept having me audition for roles I had no shot at, like the Amistad Blood Diamond. Guy. Yes, yes. I, said, I always want to do a spoof where I was like. He took all my roles. <laughs> <laughs> and that you're actually mad about it. Like they would call me and be like, ah. Because this, the, the thing about the entertainment business is this is when I knew they wouldn't, they're not ever going to be completely honest with you. Because with, especially with auditions and how you're doing, is the first time, and, and this is a Jason Bateman story. It's interesting. It's funny how it's just a small world. Um, I had a pilot and we went to do a table read for the network. And uh, Holly Robinson Pete was my wife. Essence Atkins was in it. I never did a table read before, and it was my show. And I thought you had to memorize the whole script. I didn't know the table read is what it is. You're reading the script <laughs> at a table. This story but, just got good. But nobody told me. I was like, okay, so I'm trying to memorize these 38 pages. And since I'm the lead, I'm on damn near every page. I got to about page nine. And I started to stumble. My script isn't even open, Joseph. It's not even open. And then I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit, I forgot. So now I'm going through the script, and everybody's looking at me, and it just, it just went downhill from there. Long story short, the showrunner, which is Yvette Lee Bowser, God bless her, she took a real chance on me. I felt like I failed her on this. Uh, she took me in her office. After the table, everybody clapped. They were like, great job, everybody. And I was like, no, it wasn't. I sucked. I'm looking around, and Yvette took me to her office. She goes, what happened? And I go, I didn't know you could just read the script. I thought you had to memorize it. She goes, why would you think that? It's literally called a table read. I go, I don't know. I've never done one of these. I don't know. So they had Jason Bateman read my part for another network. Jason Bateman was going to play Gary Owen. Oh, my God. That they, is taped somewhere. I want to watch that. How do you get a, your hands on that thing? Well, there's got to be a table read somewhere. Uh, uh, it never went the, past the table read. Because but they Yvette, videoed that table read. They had to. They had to. And I, I think it would have to be for probably UPN. This is like 20 years ago. And literally, I remember saying, why the hell did I get Jason Bateman? What's he done lately? <laughs> I remember was thinking it, that. Wasn't his time yet. Wasn't his that time. Was, that was before Arrested Development, all that. I remember thinking, the guy from Silver Spoons? Ricky Schroeder's friend? That's yeah, yeah. who's playing me? <laughs> but if the show would have went, it, it most likely would have been Jason Bateman as Gary Owen. The craziest part is he would have done a good job. He probably would have. If the show would have been based on the stand-up, of Gary Owen, and I think I would have had an executive producer credit. And I, I tell you, I avoided Holly Robinson Pete for over 10 years because I didn't want to run into her and, and her be like, oh, that's that guy right there. Oh, he's a terrible actor. I waited <laughs> to even approach her till Think Like a Man came out. And then I literally approached her at like a function. I go, hey, uh, do you remember that table read? <laughs> <I> go, <laughs> what did she say? She just laughed about it. She goes, I didn't think it was that bad. I go, shit. 
And then uh, I remember seeing Essence last year at Gabrielle Union's birthday party, and I, I literally pulled her aside, and I had a few drinks to me, so it just kind of came in. I go, Essence, I've avoided you for 19 years. <laughs> I, said, I said, because of that table read, and she goes, and she said the same thing Holly. She goes, I don't remember that. And I go, I do. Shit, I remember like yesterday. <laughs> oh, my God. But yeah, there's remember, nothing like that feeling, man. And it's hard to shake. Oh, I, I avoid it. Everyone in that table read, I avoid it like the plague. E everybody. I avoided everybody. I was like, oh, my God. I thought they'd be like, this guy is the worst actor on the face of the planet. <laughs> it's like, I just didn't know. I didn't know the table read meant that. Just read it from the table. So <laughs> hopefully if you come back for um, season four of Ozark, uh, you can ask Jason, hey, did you ever do a table read for a lady named Yvette Lee Bowser? <laughs> <laughs> I will. About 20 years ago. <laughs> He'll remember. Let me tell you why that came about, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you something, Jason Bateman. Yeah. There's definitely there was a there's a real funny comedian that was a terrible table reader. <laughs> His only fault was he was a terrible table reader. Hey, well, listen, man. I don't want to keep you too much, but I, here's two things we always do at the end of my podcast. I always ask: Is there one actor or director or both that you haven't worked with yet that you want to work with? Michael Shannon. For is the actor I always wanted to work with. I've been, I've known Mike, uh, and I, I first saw him do a play in, in Chicago, well, in Evanston, uh, called Killer Joe. Uh, I was 14, I think, and he was 16. And that's one of the reasons why I was just like, yeah, this is what I want to do with my life. Like, he was the most spectacular performance. He played a character named Chris Smith. And I've just, I've just always been a fan. I mean, we're, we're friendly. Uh, and he's, he's been nothing but incredible to me every time I ever run into him. And I, he's a great guy to have a beer with. But um, I'd love to work with him on something great. Uh, it's always been a dream of mine. Um, My, Michael Shannon. The, Michael Shannon. Got it. If, if you're out there, Mike, let's do it. Directors? I would love to see what Tarantino's all about as a director. Oh, yeah. God, that'd be dope. I like to kill shit. I, like to, I can play somebody who wants to kill some shit. I think you've done enough. Yeah, you've well, done enough. <laughs> my hope of the podcast is in five years from now, uh, all my guests are like, yo, you got to get on Gary's podcast. If you want to work with somebody, that shit happens. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's do it, man. Your lips to God's ears. That, that's my goal with the podcast. So Michael Shannon and Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully another five years, I'll be like, yo, <laughs> you did it. Joe, did you see Tommy and Tarantino's last film? <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> and then they had Michael Jordan. He was so cool. To him. <laughs> he told him he sucked, but he was yeah. in the... <laughs> yeah, he was so friendly. It was, it was such a good... Thing. It was full circle. Everything. Full circle. I love Omar, it. Omari broke character in between takes. I don't know what happened. It was, it was all after Gary Owens' podcast. <laughs> but it's funny you say method acting, because I, I heard Daniel Day-Lewis is like that. I heard yeah. he's the same way. I was talking to uh, Bruce McGill. We were on the set of Ride Along, mm -hmm. and he was coming off Lincoln. And he said, I said, yo, I literally asked him, because Daniel Day Lewis, like my favorite actor. I was like, yo, what's it like working with him? He goes, um, yeah, it was pretty much the 1860s the entire time. Even when the director said cut, he was like, we'd have to talk about stuff in the 1860s. And I was like, wow. He goes, and then they had to switch the shooting schedule because when he died as Lincoln, he died. They go, he just laid there for like 45 minutes. 
and it was just silent. And we you just know, he doesn't do reshoots. He doesn't do reshoots, but he did a reshoot for Scorsese for um, Gangs in New York. And oh, I, didn't I know heard. That. I heard Leo tell this story, which is a great story. So uh, as long as Leo doesn't, you know, not that he has any idea who the hell I am, but uh, I, I had a little role in uh, Shutter Island. Yeah. And he was telling this great story about doing reshoots with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. And they, he said Daniel Day-Lewis had gotten, um, I, I believe it was a respiratory infection because he wouldn't take any modern medicine uh, at the time because it was just he wanted to stay time period. and. They were doing reshoots, and he's like, no, that character is too far gone. But then he, d he ended up doing some reshoots for Scorsese, and he was still like, they had done this long day, and, uh, you know, he never breaks character, and, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's doing his build a butcher thing the whole time, and then at one point, he just looks up at Leo, and he just goes, this is fucking hard, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he's just like, whoa, what the fuck just happened? So, you know, I think that everybody has their breaking point. That was a great story for me to hear that, like, you know, nobody is Superman. I think one of the things I appreciate about being in the entertainment business is whether I'm a comedian or I'm on a film or on a TV show or anything, is just to hear the stories of other actors or comedians that you respect that are in the business that are just telling stories. You feel like you're, you're getting the insight that a lot of people aren't getting. Just that oh, yeah. story. You're, think about... Think about what you just said right there, Joe. You're like, yeah, I'm on set with Leonardo DiCaprio and I am now in the loop. I'm able to sit around and hear him tell a story about Daniel Day-Lewis and nobody's lying. <laughs> nobody's adding stuff on. This exactly. Is like it was like, this is a great one. When we were doing Jack Reacher, we're outside and uh, my friend Jai Courtney was uh, sitting outside having a cigarette and Werner Herzog, who is in the movie, you know, he's having a cigarette. And I was just like, Jai, you got just roll with me on this. I'm going to say something, okay? You just got to roll with me on this. I said, hey, Werner, what's going on? He's like, oh, hello. And I'm just like, uh, what, how's your day? Everything's going good. He's like, everything is fine. And I'm like, do you drink red wine? Me and Jai are about to go up and have a glass of red wine up in his room. We got a couple of bottles. He's like, yes, I drink red wine. And he came up, and so for the next two hours, Werner Herzog told us stories about growing up in Germany and going around to little villages at post World War II, and like there were gangs, there were gangs. There was, uh, he's just like there were, you know, everybody was a young teenager. There were no men; they were all dead in the war. And so people would have stockpiles of weapons. And like his mother teaching him to how to you know shoot a gun because she was in a, a resistance army and it's, it's just like these stories coming to America being a wrestler in Mexico defecting from the U S so he would you know like get, it was just these the craziest stories in the world and then just thinking like wow that just that just happened <laughs> it just happened holy shit those are the the moments in this business you're like God how lucky am I mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean just to be a fly on the wall. Now, I, I worked with Tracy Morgan. That was, a, that was an experience in itself. <laughs> oh, I bet. <laughs> How some, was that? Have some drinks with Tracy in his room. And, wow. Uh, and you don't know what's coming out of that dude's mouth. And I, I love Tracy to death. I had Tiffany Haddish on, and I told her, I said, there's only a few people in this world that don't change personalities, whether they're in front of Barack Obama or they're in front of the guy working at Chick-fil-A. Tracy Morgan is Tracy Morgan. Just like Tiffany Haddish is Tiffany Haddish. He went off on me one night, and I don't know why he went off on me, but he just started going off on me in front of, like, the Wayans was there, everybody. Fuck you, Gary Owen. He goes, uh, you, you like, what do he say? You like black women. My mother's black. 
And I was like, what? And, and then he goes, I've been seven years on SNL. I'll call Laura Michaels. You'll never be on TV. This is completely unsolicited. Everybody's having a good time. Then Tracy just goes off on me. And then in the middle of going off on me, the, his hotel door rings, doorbell, and they bring in pizza and chicken wings. It's like two in the morning. And in the middle of Tracy going off, he goes, yo, fuck you, Gary. Oh, hey, you want a slice? He offered me a piece of pizza in the middle of the attack. <laughs> and I was like, nah, I'm good. I, I was enjoying it because I knew Tracy does that. The next morning or the ne and maybe two days later when we're on set, uh, he just comes up and he gives me a kiss on my forehead. Like, he gives me a big kiss. Ah, oh, it's my youth right here. He goes, I went off on you last night. You just took it. <laughs> he goes, we parted like rock stars, G. You my kid. You my youth. No, you my youth, kid. You my youth. <laughs> it's like, what just happened? <laughs> like, we were friends and best friends after that. <laughs> but it's also like, Gary, that is you, man. For the limited amount that I know you, you seem like you're having a good time and that you enjoy life. You enjoy your being where you're at, at when you're there. And, like, that's... Those are the people I want to fuck with. You know what I mean? Everybody else, the too seriousness, the whole... I, I, I just want to be around people who are cool and who want to have fun. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, I'm glad people think that of me because I, I, don't, I, I don't like those people where you go, how's your day going? Oh, fuck, man. <laughs> like this. Why did I ask that? What, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Like this. Oh, my God. My wife and my kids and fucking. <laughs> I just had eight auditions and they fucking, I didn't get any of them. I'm like, great. Fuck. <laughs> I'm so glad I said hello to you. <laughs> but yeah, man, I, I forgot. Are, so you're a diehard Bears fan, right? Oh, I'm not diehard anything anymore, man. I mean, I was diehard all those teams 20 years ago. You know, after I haven't lived in Chicago for over 20 years, and it's just like I loved, I like watching sports, but I I liked being at the games. Like I worked at Wrigley Field. I used to love going down to Comiskey. I mean, I did I, not as much as I like Wrigley Field because I'm from the north side, but. Um, I loved just seeing games at Soldier Field. Like, it was just like, that was always the best to me. I watch boxing more than anything else, I guess. Who's your but favorite I love boxer? The Bears Who's of your favorite all boxer? time? Yeah, all of time. all time. I would say Sugar Ray Robinson. I love watching the old Sugar Ray fights. Wow. And I loved Roy Jones. Roy Jones Jr. was, I just, Roy Jones Jr. actually was the referee at one of uh, a fight of mine in Chicago at Matador's Boxing Gym. You at Augusta were Noble. Oh, I boxed for I boxed for a long time, man. I didn't know yeah, that. like seven years I, I fought. I had uh, only 32 fights on my card, like, you know, like Golden Gloves fights or if we went downstate to fight, like official fights on my card or, or Park District um, uh, tournament fights. But um, we would fight almost every Saturday at my gym, so it'd be like other parks would come down and you'd have like little inner park tournaments. And uh, I got my ass handed to me a lot, but um, it was, you know, I know I know how to throw. I can work with these. So there's literally, there's, there's, there's grown men out there right now like tell him, yeah, yeah, yeah. I whooped Tommy's ass. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and and they did. There's also there's also people who got whooped up by Tommy. Right. Um, that's what I'm saying. That's, Yo, I that's fought for him. sure. There's but literally I'll people going, you, you didn't fight Tommy. No, I did. Yeah, I fought Tommy. I did, and I whipped his ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually got a, a great chance. I actually sparred, and probably David Diaz doesn't remember this because I was just another person coming through Hamlin Park that was brought over. Our coach Rory O'Shea used to bring people down from Matadors to um, just to spar at different parks. He's a southpaw, uh, David Diaz, and you know Manny Pacquiao took the belt away from Dan David Diaz, who's David's a, a phenomenal fighter, a gentleman, a great guy, and a great mechanic as well. But um, he uh, he hit me. <laughs> 
It was the hardest I ever remember being hit in my life. Like it was just like stars, and I, I remember having my eyes open, but really not being able to see that well. And he was, you know, he didn't. He could have destroyed me, but he didn't. But I just remember when Pacquiao beat him. You know, he, David Diaz and uh, Manny Pacquiao are trading punches, and the announcer just saying, uh, "Diaz just doesn't have the power." And I was just thinking, "God damn!" Right. To be hit by Manny Pacquiao is kind of. He just doesn't have um, the power. Yeah, I just say I'm good. It was, it was wise of me to stop. Boxing is, I mean, it's one of my favorite sports to watch. I, I like a lot of sports, football, boxing, but I've never sparred. I've trained, you know, mm -hmm. just, but I'm like, dude, once you get in there and get in the ring and you're like, oh my God, this is definitely an art form. Watch it in a whole different light. Once you've like learned how to throw a punch and, yeah. And all that. You watch it in a completely different light. And I'm like, dude, the level of respect I have for any boxer just goes that much to even UFC. Anybody get in a ring and you're really going to fight another man or woman, just the nerves itself, I'd probably make it about two minutes and then I'd be breathing heavy. Because just I'd be so nervous. Nerves are the biggest part about it. That was my favorite part about boxing was the longer you stay in it, the more relaxed you are in the ring and the more you can actually work a little bit. Never, Not that I was ever great, but I got good. But I've always had such a respect for boxers. And I just, you know, not to be, uh, to say anything else, just, I just want to give love to my uh, coach, Tom O'Shea, who just recently passed away, um, uh, a, a coronavirus involved and... Um, uh, I love that man. That man saved my life in so many ways. But big ups to Tom O'Shea. Tom O'Shea from Chicago? Mm-hmm. Well, right, from well, Dublin, from, originally from Dublin, Ireland, and, and then to, uh, to Chicago. Did he, have, um, did he have any other boxers of, that oh, we yeah. would know? Oh, uh, yeah. Anthony Stewart, Nate Jones, Terry McGroom, um, all pros and great fighters. Terry probably had the longest uh, uh, career uh, out of all of them. And then his younger brother, Rory O'Shea, fought on Muhammad Ali's undercard. Tom was uh, an undefeated boxer. He won the Golden Gloves four times. He was an Olympic coach. Um, oh, wow. All the fighting O'Shea brothers out of uh, Chicago, just wonderful people. His uh, daughters, Laurie and Colette, are great people. He had the Wilson brothers. Ronnie Wilson's a great guy. Yeah, all, all those guys were fantastic human beings i was lucky to be around them wow well that's a great way to um that's a great way to end the show then man we'll uh we'll, we'll go out to your your old boxing coach and all, all right. the o'shea's out there man i appreciate you coming on and I, I wish you nothing but the best in the future and i hope uh i hope you get to work with tarantino and um and mr Shannon. Shannon. yeah all right I'll i hope it comes it. true man all right man take care i appreciate it all man. Right, peace gary